Hey guys, and welcome to episode four of the Angie Monroe podcast. And this time the shoe is on the other foot. So I've got my husband Russ with me today and he's actually going to be interviewing me. So yeah. Um, Hello people. Over to you, Russell. So worth mentioning as well, the first episode of 2024. Yes. So just in case everyone's wondering, it's uh, New Year's day and we haven't actually gone out so we're as fresh as daisies today that's it new year's day new start mm -hmm. 2024 day one first episode for you in the pod as well. it is the first episode for me it's the very very first one so yeah no what no better way than uh, going in uh new year's day there we go so shoes on the other foot i'll yes. take the interviewer position then shall i yes because last time ross was my bitch so now i'm his bitch i don't know about bitch oh, that was a little, <laughs> little bit too far that one isn't it? right well as with all good stories it's best off to start at the beginning i would say so tell me a bit about you and where you started so your upbringing because you're not a midlands girl are you no no i'm originally from london so i grew up in london went to school in london um all through college in London. And then when I was about 22, I moved to the Midlands. 22? 22. Okay, so your first 22 years as a Cockney. Yeah, yeah. literally. <laughs> and how did you find moving up to the Midlands from the London? Because that's a different change of pace of life, isn't it? Yeah, I found it really hard because in London, no one cares no one is interested in your life. They just go about their business. Whereas in the Midlands, especially being such a small town like Kidderminster, everybody seems to kind of be watchy-watchy, um, very kind of like whispery-whispery. So I struggled with that and I struggled with everything being so far away. Everything was so far Small town vibes, isn't it? Everybody yeah. knows your business. Yeah, I hate that. But I feel we've skipped straight to 22 there. Yeah. So let's rewind that a bit. So growing up in London, how was that? Um, I mean, you had to have thick skin in London. Um, it, it's not for the faint-hearted. Um, and you had to um, be a certain way. I suppose in the way you, you couldn't show much weakness because as soon as uh, weakness was shown that's when the bullying starts particularly mm. like at school and stuff like that how was it at school in london interesting because i went to a catholic school um not through any choice of being very biblical so to speak other than being catholic but it was the first choice third so choice are you catholic technically are you catholic technically <laughs> <laughs> for context ladies and gents this is the girl that when i once mentioned wanting to go for a, a weekend break to rome and said it'd be cool to go and visit the vatican <laughs> what did you say i don't remember i do oh, i bet you do i do i remember the response from the catholic girl was what's the vatican <laughs> was it not i don't remember <laughs> yeah that's i've be. lost that part of my memory okay my okay right, so as a kid, growing up in London, um, I mean, I'm guessing it was a lot more multicultural. I mean, everywhere's getting more multicultural now, but rewinding back to your childhood, it wasn't the same up here as it was down there? No, no, very, very different. I feel like in some ways and that it's still a little bit backwards here. Um, 
in London, there is a lot of variety of people. You can kind of be more yourself, I think, in London. Mm. Whereas being up here, it's a lot more judgy and has been judgy because when I first moved, I moved and I had like <laughs> these leather jackets, you know the ones I'm on about, those leather mm. jackets, the Ferrari one, the BMW, they're, they're loud jackets. And I got judged the once. Someone looked me up and down when I was wearing it. And obviously back then I still had um, a chip on my shoulder. Mm. I had that London like, like, who are you? What are you looking at? Why are you being like that? Um, but as time had passed, I've kind of like been up here. I've softened a lot more. But also, there's also the fact, isn't there, that we're talking about multi-ethnic because mm. you're not 100% British, are you? I mean, there could be anything in me, couldn't there, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, but getting back to it, obviously, mm. you know, you, you're half Polish. So, yes, yes. You know, I feel like you were forgetting that then. <laughs> yes. So I'm half Polish, half English with a splash of whatever else is floating around in there. So I want to do one of those tests. I'd love to do one of those, a 23 and me things. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be so English. I just want to find out if I'm a little bit Viking. That's all. <laughs> That's my hopes. <laughs> I really don't think it's going to come out with uh, Russell, you're a little bit Viking. Well, we're going to have to do one and see now, <laughs> aren't we? Check in for later episodes to find out the results of our 23 and me <laughs> tests. We'll start a betting line as to who's got what in them. Yeah, that's true. That's a good idea. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the fact that you are half Polish, so your summers, because obviously being your husband, I'm privy to a bit of inside yes. knowledge here. But I'm aware that you spent a lot of summers in Poland, didn't you? Yeah, so we used to go every year for about eight weeks at a time. I think school holidays were much longer back then. But yeah, I used to go eight weeks in the summer, two well, weeks at Christmas. Huh? The school holidays might not have been long. No, it might but, have just been pulled out of school. Yeah, it's easy. it was easier to pull kids out of school. You That's don't get true. fined. <laughs> That's true. But it's still better to take the fine now than it is to oh, God, yeah. uh, go away on some holidays. 100%. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But the reason I'm bringing that up is, as you know, like I'm a firm believer that what experiences you have as a person, particularly as a child, end up shaping you as an adult. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, we're going to get onto your business journey and all mm -hmm. the rest of it, but it's building that background picture. Mm -hmm. So as a kid, you've grown up in London, the hustle bustle of London, the multi-ethnicity of London, dealing with different people of all sorts of different creeds, and also then being half Polish yourself and then experiencing Polish culture. Mm -hmm. like, how do you think all of that helped shape you as a younger person? I think that I was very aware as a young person what poverty was. Mm. So when we used to go to Poland in the summer, like back when I was well, well young, we used to take like sweets, um, various different foods, in our luggage because they never had that there. Mm. Um, and we used to always have like at my nan's flat where she lived, where we would stay, there would be like a line of kids knocking the door, um, literally asking if they could have sweets because they, they were that poor. They never had any of that. So in answer to your question, it's kind of shaped me in the way that um, I can relate probably as an adult to people with adversities, whatever they might be. Mm. That's, I mean, it's also, it's a whole lot of life experience because mm. I think everyone's guilty. You take for granted what you've been through or gone through and you kind of ex think it's the norm. But when you compare that to a lot of people, I mean, we live in a little town now mm -hmm. um, and I've met people that, for example, have barely ever left. 
you know that they've got this very insulated experience of life where they, they live in a little town and that's all they ever know yet you grew up in london traveled back and forth to poland do you think that gave you some kind of like you know if you were to bring that into the business world do you think that gave you a bit of an advantage yeah uh because i'm good with change mm. because throughout my life there's been a number of changes and i've adapted so had I not had all of the different experiences, like with, with, with growing up in London, I was in, you know, I hung out, even though I didn't live on a council estate, I hung out on a council estate. I hung out with all the real kids, mm. like kids that had proper like adversities uh, and various different things. I'd seen a lot of things that most people wouldn't have seen. But in terms of the business world, I feel like maybe that now makes me able to relate to various different people in business yeah yeah and obviously you haven't got uh sort of any hang-ups on people from different backgrounds the no. people that haven't been because it's human nature mm. isn't it people are scared of what they don't know mm. so kind of the more you're exposed to i find around here especially where we live mm. i mean being a white girl so to speak um I still hear a lot of like derogatory things about different nationalities. I mean, there's some people that don't even know that I'm half Polish. They wouldn't know mm. in the month of Sundays that I was half Polish. They'd go with something else. I mean, I've been like, people think I'm either Italian. I've, I've even had Australian. That's the weirdest one for me so far. Australian, Australian. Or just because you got a tan. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that was all about, but like, I still hear all of the small mindedness that still exists mm. in small towns, but you don't really get that in like London because it's big. Again, yeah, I think I think it's what you're exposed mm. to, isn't it? Uh, mm. I think if you live somewhere like London or even Birmingham now, mm. you don't have the opportunity to be that small minded because it's not your normality. Mm. Um, in little towns like where we are now, it is a little bit more normal, isn't mm. it, to grow up and maybe not be exposed to different cultures and people of different backgrounds the same way that you've been yeah I think it's quite sad that people are confined into their own little areas and they don't broaden their horizons because if they did they'd learn so much more about themselves mm. they'd learn so much more about the world and the types of people that are out there like you know let's take we've just had Christmas haven't we so Polish Christmas versus British Christmas two very different things the British Christmas is about what you get for Christmas and I'm not just talking kids just mm. in general but obviously being in the Polish culture I grew up not wanting it was like more about the whole big dinner the Christmas Eve dinner the whole family getting together so mm. although I had my sort of adversities with my own childhood I think that with that part I was quite lucky to have that because I had a lot of substitutes, loads of aunties and uncles that weren't really aunties and uncles, but mm. anyone from a European background or any other background than British will know that everybody has a million and one aunties and uncles. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so obviously you, you grew up in London until you were 22. I know why you left London. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see yourself? So let's touch on that. Why did you leave? I got married. <laughs> And husband number one within that husband number this one is marriage. Number three. This is that. <laughs> I'll just get to refer to as this. You've lasted the longest. You just objectified me. <laughs> lasted the longest. We're entering the danger year, though, aren't we? Year seven. Year seven. 
Um, but did you ever, prior to that, did you want to get out? Did you? No, never. No? No, never. I think what had happened, I'd, I was in a relationship. I got, really? The set's falling apart. My set is falling apart. My, my selfie light has now given way and sat itself on the floor. So hopefully the noise cancellation would have uh, cancelled that out. However, the jump from me will not be cancelled out (laughs) unless I decide to edit it. Anyway, going back to the question. Yeah, so I was in a relationship. I got cheated on. um, And then as most people do, I want to go on holiday. I want to go on holiday with my friends. And that's what I did. I went on holiday with my friends. And then shortly after coming back from holiday, um, obviously meetings number one there. And then he moved here. And then six months later, he couldn't, couldn't take the boy out of Kidderminster, so he had to move back. And mm. then I followed. So that's where I've been ever since. And out of interest, obviously when that relationship broke down, why did you never consider going back? Because I'm stubborn and I'm not going to be pushed out. And I felt like I was uh. <laughs> being tried to be pushed out. Stubbornness kept you in Kidderminster of all places. No, I know. Like what? What the actual? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's that's like your, your exit from London. But to pull it back, because obviously the podcast is related to business. Yes. And uh, what is now the monster? That is Angie Monroe, hair, beauty, aesthetics, and world domination. <laughs> um, kind of a bit like that, isn't it? <laughs> it yeah, well, we're, we're going to talk about that because your business has changed direction and grown massively over the time that I've, I've known you. Mm. But to get background in you as a businesswoman, because um, you started in hairdressing, didn't you, initially? Like, was that straight out of school? or I was in a hair salon the first, well, no, yeah, technically, the first job I ever had was in a salon. I was about 12 years old. Mm. It was literally a, a Saturday job. Um, and then, obviously, I was working there um, as a junior. And then I had a small stint in Pancake Chef, which was a, as a re- waitress, which you couldn't believe. Why, why, a, why could you believe that? This a couple of days ago. <laughs> and the thought of Angie being a waitress was uh, a little bit alien to me because she's not really got the mentality shall we say for, for dealing no, with people be in honest what, what did you say i said you're too angry no you said i was rude oh okay rude and angry <laughs> right yeah i couldn't imagine you can't being, take uh, the kid out of london <laughs> well that's it yeah so it was a bit of a surprise so when did you first actually like did you always want to be a hairdresser was that yeah so ever since i was a little girl I always cut off every doll's hair that I had, apart from superstar Cindy. She never made the cut. She had great hair. She had crimply hair. And so you just cut sparkly. it off? Yeah, I used to that cut all the, yeah, every doll. Removing the hair? Yeah, yeah. So cut you were it. like the evil kid on Toy Story? Yeah, yeah, cut the hair <laughs> off. I mean, they're lucky I could have cut the heads off. You know. That's true. I was just trying to remember that kid's name because I was going to start referring to you as that. You know, what was his name? I don't remember. remember. You never watched that? Well, I probably would. I know Andy was a good kid, but who was the bad kid? I don't know. Oh, okay. So we've gone from cutting dolls' hairs off. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Do, so after school, you did what? So after school, I left school and went straight into hairdressing at college. So I spent two years at college. Okay. Uh, but in between all of that, I still had a job 
as a hairdresser, um, a junior at various different salons, as well as a factory job. And this was working in as a hairdresser in London? Yeah. 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 Okay. Because I know there was a point where you left hairdressing, yeah. wasn't it, which was quite traumatic. Yeah. So basically, I was working in a salon. I was living in Watford, actually. It wasn't too long before I moved to the Midlands, funny enough. So I must have been about 19 or 20 or something like that. Um, and I was in the salon. And um, my manager at the time asked me to go and unclog a can of hairspray, um, which wasn't spraying. It was a brand new can. So I just, she said, I'll go and get like a pintail comb. So I stuck the pintail comb down the hairspray to see if I can unclog it. Mm. Um, Within the salon, there was also a gas fire, which is actually illegal now, by the way. I shouldn't have had that. For this exact reason? Yeah, exactly. So what had happened was it was like an, I can only explain it as an explosion in front of me. Mm. And when that explosion happened, I turned to the right of me, I think it was, yeah, to the right to protect an old lady under the dryer at the time. Uh, it turned out she was a nurse. Um, so she was very useful to me at that point in time. But I reacted with like throwing my hands over my face like that. Um, and it literally burned all of my arms. My arms were like black, filled with blisters. Um, it blew out the whole shop window. My, my hair was singed I literally had to um have all my hair cut really short which was like traumatic for me as a hairdresser at that point Mm. in time because I'd grown my hair my own hair these are all extensions but grown it all to a point where I was like getting somewhere with it and then that happened but I went into a state of shock because they had to literally strip me in the salon because I was wearing lycra Mm. lycra and flames do not go well together because they cling to the skin so i literally was stripped off in the salon in broad daylight with the shop window blown out um and i went into like a shock mode which was i'm not leaving until someone washes my hair so an ambulance had to be called i then had to um be covered in i think it was cling feel my arms yeah they the do burns. That. I don't know why but yeah I can't remember why they did that but um I was covered in clingfield and I was made believe it or not to drink a cup of milky sugary tea mm, well that'll be for the shock yeah for it? shock sugar yeah absolutely uh, and then obviously that nurse that was underneath that dryer was the one that was mm. pretty much attending to me and then I was taken to hospital um and they had to put me in this room where they basically had to say look we can't leave these blisters the way they they were. Uh, these blisters were massive, like literally as time was passing, the blisters were like filling. So they had to basically pop every single blister that appeared on my arms and peel the skin off. It was, I can't even describe the pain. The pain was like something like, pff. they literally loaded me up on just gas and air only. So I was off my face. It was like it was a delayed reaction. So when they were peeling the skin off, um, it was like I knew what was happening, but it was like the pain came after it happened, if that makes sense. It's hard Mm. to explain. It's amazing what the body does, isn't it, in terms of like, you know, it it puts out whatever it puts out to stop you feeling it and the adrenaline and Mm. all the rest of it, and it does hit afterwards. Mm. What was the – so after that had happened, what did the salon do? Um, The thing is, is – I mean, in hindsight, technically, you're probably thinking, 
what did I get out of that? Did I sue? I actually didn't sue because I really liked the boss mm. um, and I felt bad. I felt guilty. And in fairness to her, she did carry on paying my statutory sick pay. Yeah. Um, but back then there was no, no win, no fee. I did go to seek legal advice, but you had to pay £750 up front mm. to, to start. It isn't how it is as it is now where there is literally no win, no fee. You didn't have that. And I didn't, you know, I'm in my, I'm 19, 20 years of age. I didn't have 750 quid. Never mind the fact that now I can't work. I'm stuck like this in bandages. Um, they wanted to keep me in hospital, but me being me, nah, it's staying here. Get me out of here. And did you ever, so was that like your last day in the salon then? Did you ever go back after that, like no. prior to? No, because. No. I mean, what that did in effect was like the trauma after that with the, once everything had sort of kicked in, especially that first week is the, the, the explosion noise. So I'd wake up in the middle of the night hearing like an explosion. I suppose it's no different to someone being blown up at war. Well, it's like this PTSD. P- yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. It's a version of PTSD. Like any slight noise, I'd be like on edge. Yeah. And it was like that went on for a few months. And then... Um, as time passes subsides and yeah I didn't return back to the salon um because I wouldn't stay in hospital um but I had to go back every two days so my ex-boyfriend's sister used to take me to the hospital every two days because I'd have to have all the bandages taken off and then um my arms cleaned down for all of the skin and the I mean, scabs. You're really lucky, really, that you haven't ended up with any permanent scarring. Yeah, I sh- if you'd have seen what that looked like, I should have. Because when, obviously, all the skin is peeled, I'm peeled back to basics. Um, In that, like, it's like fresh fresh skin, isn't it? It's not nice. Um, But I was told to stay um, away from sun, mm. not to sunbathe. And I was like, nah, fuck that. My arms are patchy. I'm going out. And I did. I literally covered myself in Factor 50 and evened out my arms. I was lucky though, because although I got little bits on my face, because I reacted by throwing my arms in the air over my face, I didn't, my face didn't burn, but had I not kind of reacted like that, it would have like affected the face for sure. That's crazy. Mm. And then the fact that you eventually came back to it, I mean, that in itself would be enough for a lot of people to To quit. yeah. yeah, Yeah. But what I did was obviously, I had to earn money. Like you, you don't survive in London without. I wasn't living at home either at that point, so mm. I had to go to work. And I remember seeing this advert in the paper back when papers had advertisements for jobs, um, and it said earn a thousand pound a week. I was like, okay, well, I've got, what have I got to do to get me that? So I had no idea what it was. It's a shock confession that she used to be a stripper coming up, ladies and gents. Wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, didn't you think that I was an escort at one point? I didn't think that you were. <laughs> you just built up. A, anyway, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> I didn't ever think that my wife was an escort, <laughs> to be fair. It was a conversation we had where she built up this whole, I've got something to tell you conversation, <laughs> and it's really bad. And I don't know what you're going to think of me afterwards. 
so yeah my head went straight to were you an escort <laughs> but, <laughs> luckily yeah. I wasn't an escort I'd just been married two no, previous just, time <laughs> yeah breaking it to me that I was potentially going to be number three <laughs> so yeah but uh where were we oh uh yeah thousand pound a week so I rang up this um this phone number and um basically it was an office job uh, in telesales, basically flogging and selling gas and electricity to the consumer of the phone. So this was the point where I kind of dipped my toe into kind of like sales. Sales, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was there for quite some time, made some really good friends, actually, even friends that I'm friends with now. Did you ever get a £1,000 a week? Oh, 790-something. I was you know, close. That's not bad, though. I, I mean, we're, we're talking some years ago, aren't we? So I was adamant. But that didn't come until later because I went from um, being on the um, telesales, hmm. then went through to the business-to-business side, selling gas and electricity, and then I did it field sales. So I would knock doors. And, yes, I was that person that knocked your door and sold gas and electricity, and that's where the money was. As a business? No, like business no, to business? Consumer. So I did, oh, okay. I did um, consumer to consumer. No sorry, business to consumer, and then um, I did business to business, mm. and then consumer to consumer, business See, to consumer. I think all of this stuff, though, paints a picture. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like each and every one of these jobs that you've done, because there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't be able to do that, to mm. go and knock a random door. Um, I mean, I've knocked a few random doors. but you... Tell them what you used to do, babe. No, we're on you here. This is a <laughs> podcast about you. Um but what I'm saying is like that in itself, a lot of people wouldn't do because it's unannounced and it, 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 there's that awkwardness and there's all the rejection after rejection after rejection of people. Story of my life. <laughs> putting doors in your face. Um, yeah, that door was horrible. It paints the picture though, doesn't it? It's the character building. It, mm. it gives you whatever job you do, you take a bit of skill from it. Mm. Uh, there's a lesson to be learned. There's person-to-person relations as the skills that you picked up in that sales position that you would mm-hmm. then later bring into your business life yeah 100 percent, i agree like had i'd not had the business to business and it wasn't just that obviously after the telesales i had enough of knocking doors mm. like, and tracing up and down streets knock 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 i was done um so i then moved away from that and moved into sort of sales direct sales account management um, it was actually business to business telephone sales that I went into. So selling mobile phones into businesses. And I, back then, I mean, I had seven contracts. I was obsessed with phones. I mean, this is tame. What you see now is tame for Your me. Your niche was mobile phones. It was my niche. It still is. <laughs> but I'm more tamed. But um, I'd gone on to do mobile phone sorry, sales, business to business. So selling like... 50 to hundreds of handsets to a corporation uh, of any size. It could be one mobile through to like hundreds. Mm. And that was fun. And what I started to realize was that at that point, I'm not an office person. I literally hated the telesales job from the point of view of clock watching and being so repetitive. And being out on the field gave me that freedom to be in the car out and about managing my own time so sort of being a little bit self-employed in the end and that was up here or down in london here right okay so you're traveling around the midlands yeah yeah absolutely so i mean i could be anywhere midlands peterborough back down to london uh, manchester um liverpool anywhere uh, wherever the business was we we kind of went and it was literally as 
as tragic as picking up the yellow pages when that was a thing and going through businesses and cold calling the yellow them. pages yeah wow. it's mad isn't it i mean that sounds like a blast from the past now but that i remember when i first started in business that was like the prestige advertising mm. place you know you weren't legit unless you were in the yellow pages so but i think i mean that completely gone now aren't they yeah i don't think they exist they used to have yell.com i don't know if they still have i think they're still around yes they they are actually they don't do much i mean better than that just to rewind it back to what you said about the newspapers Mm. can you remember the old version of tinder oh god yeah (laughs) it was like yeah (laughs) that is where you'd actually go to get murdered to get (laughs) i never said to get laid i said to get murdered oh i thought you said to get laid (laughs) no 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 it's like, you know, 40-year-old male desperately sink, seeking companionship or whatever they used to write. <laughs> There'd be a little seedy phone number to call. But, yeah, I mean, that, that was a whole different world, wasn't it? Yeah, God, yeah. How it's all moved on now. The it dating. Just, yeah, now it's all swipe. Swipe right or swipe left. Swipe right, end up getting married. That's exactly what happened to us. <laughs> so, right, so you've, you've gone, obviously, out of college. You've learned your trade. You've had this big traumatic event. You've then ended up in sales mm-hmm. and you've, you've gained all the skills from that. How has that then translated back to you going back into hair and beauty? So what had happened was I then started to get hair extensions done myself. And I went and had them done for the first time by actually non-hairdressers. So they were a hair extension business that sold and supplied hair extensions that did fittings as well. Now, anyone with a sales brain is ticking at this point. So I was sat having my hair done by her. Obviously, I was aware of what I was paying. And then I was also aware of the time it took her to do it. I was like, hang on a minute. Like, my my brain was just like going in different directions. And I was getting to a point where I'd gone from sales job to sales job. And I was getting bored. I was bored with being managed. I was bored and sick and tired of egotistic idiots that I had to deal with like in boardroom meetings and chairs being flung everywhere it's it just I was I was done so after that session of having my hair extensions done I kind of went home and I just thought you know what I'm going to do a course in hair extensions so although I had the skill as a hairdresser I needed to do another course to be able to do hair extensions. And I dabbled a little bit when I worked for a company called Antenna in South Kensington in London. Um, But back then it took seven hours to apply extensions, which is why I never had interest in it before, but things had moved on. So what had happened was I'd created a company, got it on company's house, uh, created a website and started to pay for advertising and basically I started doing um hair extensions um mobile Mm. so I would go to people's homes and do that in and around my full-time job but at that point I was working at Eon um on their sales business to business department and um I never forget it I'd come home from being away on holiday to being landed with a email from my manager saying that um, when I return to work, there's going to be a a meeting with them and HR. So I kind of thought, yeah, they found out that I have my own business. um, And I think they were just trying to push me out, to be honest. Um, 
I never ended up attending that meeting. Mm. I went straight to the doctors and got a sick note for two weeks because uh, I knew what was coming. They were trying to push me out and they were going to use that as their reason to get me out of the business. So in a nutshell, what I did was um, I had a spare room in my house. I ripped up all of the flooring, <laughs> carpet at the yeah. time, and converted this spare room into a little salon. I thought, right, I'm going to take a risk here. I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to double my advertising. The numbers have got to surely pay off. And that is how I then got back in to hairdressing was on the hair extension side. And off the back of that came the hairdressing side. It kind of went hand in hand. And then um, I um, came across a premises in Worcester. I mean, just to pull that back a bit, because you, you say some things like it's perfectly normal. <laughs> like out of interest, when you decided you, you went for that hair extension mm. meeting, that meeting Both. appointment, appointment yeah? Yeah. and you saw the profit that was potential there. Mm-hmm. And then you decided to go on company's house, set a business up, start advertising. How long did that take? From you deciding that you thought there was potential there, how long did it take for you to set a business up and start advertising? 24 hours. (laughs) (laughs) I was just wondering whether this was just a recent thing, but apparently not. Uh, This seems to be... I mean, in fairness, I think you're extraordinary for that. Because the one thing I'd give you credit for is just moving on things. Mm. Um, I struggle to keep up. As you know, like I'll think of things and I'll think about it and I'll talk myself into it, talk myself back out of it. You think about it and then within a day it's there. Make no which... mistake, sometimes it is a surprise to me that it's happening. So I mean, I'm doing this thing that's popped into my head and then I've fully invested in But what I mean it. is you, you say that like it's a small thing and I think mm. you deserve more credit or give yourself more credit for what you've achieved because most people, Probably not the people listening to this podcast because they're going to be similarly minded, mm. but most people will never set a business up in their entire life. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you can get a good job, you can work for people and whatever, you know, whatever your values are. But the amount of times where you've set businesses up and changed direction, I think is exceptional. And by the sounds of it, you've been doing it for a very long time. So you've jumped back in, you've started a business up within 24 hours you've got to the point where you've obviously grown the business enough to take mm-hmm. premises on or did you just take a premises on because you saw it? Yeah, that's exactly. It was oh, actually yeah. a psychic reading. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Perfect business plan <laughs> yeah. there, ladies and gents. It was a psychic reading um, that occurred because I always said I'd never have a salon. I'm not taking that risk. Mm. And then this um, psychic reading happened and they said that they could see a premises. And then, long behold, this premises pops up in Worcester and I'm like, well, this is fate. This is meant to be, this is happening. And then like, I just picked up the phone, made that phone call. And then before you know it, I'm kind of moving into my first little salon. Knowing what you know now and you like the focus that you've now got on mindset and things like that. Do you think that you saying that the, the psychic, you know, told you and then lo and behold, it popped up. I would imagine that premises were probably always popping up. You just never saw them. Yeah. And once you adjust your mindset and you start looking for those open mm-hmm. doors, they're there. Mm. Well, that's like anything in life, isn't it? If, you, if you're 
speaking to people about certain things be it if you're you know at your table with some successful people with some exceptional opportunities um and then you have certain conversations things are going to start appearing because you're putting it out into the universe and it just starts you start to your eyes are open so i guess mm -hmm. my eyes were fully open at that point and i probably then pursued it you were seeing the opportunities in front of you mm -hmm. It's a powerful thing though, isn't it? I know you believe in like the law of attraction. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's massive. I mean, what you put out is absolutely what you're going to get. And if you, you go into things with a certain frame of mind or a certain mindset, then you're just going to get more of that, whatever that might be. And there's a lot of people that are negative, uh, and I'm not digging at you here, by the way. That's not what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> not I'm not, no, now. you're not negative now he's not negative now but there is a lot of there are a lot of people out there that are negative and mm. things don't happen for them because they restrict themselves yeah. but when I moved into this premises I had very little clients mm. I did not have a lot of clients at all but I did the thing that most people would not have done and that is I was the first salon in Worcester to take on Groupon because my logic was this, and with the sales background, my thinking was wired slightly differently. Yes, you're going to get people from Groupon that are looking for deals everywhere. It's just the way that it is. It's just that sort of platform. But the way I saw it was I could spend a load of money on an industry that's getting more and more competitive. So therefore, your search engine advertising with Google becomes less relevant and it's a lot harder. So what I did, I took on Groupon because that guaranteed me people in the door. And then it was mm. my job as a salesperson to then convert them to come back. Yeah. So I had that skill set there. So get the people in front of me. My closing ratio in sales was pretty good. You know, it was always good. This is why it helped me with my consultations when I was working sort of like mobile in hairdressing. Mm. See, that's, again, what I was sort of like alluding to is that everything in your past kind of paints a picture of your future. Mm. So you've picked up those sales skills. You've then made a move knowing that you've got those sales skills behind you to take on the Groupon mm. element and customer base where a lot of other people would look at that and go, there's not enough profit in it. No, and, it's, and, and there isn't. You don't make any money from it for sure. Um, but to this day, Janet, if you're listening, she came in through a group on. She's still my client now. Hi, 13. <laughs> 13 years later. Mm. 13 I'll, years later. I completely see where you're at. I'm not sure I'd have had the capacity. Wait, no, I think I caught that up. It wasn't Janet. Sorry, Janet. It wasn't you. Sorry, we had Janet. this <laughs> We had this conversation and it was she came in on a trauma. Her her young girl was like 13 and the hairdresser cut all her hair off and I extended her hair. That's where it came oh, okay. in. Yeah, and then Janet became my client. And I still cut her daughter's hair now, and she's in her 20s. Wow. Yeah. So you've, you've took on this premise, premises, premise? Mm -hmm. Anyway, you've took that on. Mm. You've Obviously, you've built the business up. How long were you in that place? Was Not it, very long. The first one in yeah, Worcester? Yeah, the first one in Worcester. I was only there a year, mm. a year and a bit, year and a half at the okay. most. And then I started a vision board. And then I kind of put, I saw this premises because I had to drive past it every single day 
to work and it was empty. It was like double shop front mm-hmm. um, shop window. And I put that shop from the advertisement in the paper on my vision board. I was adamant. Everything was going against me. I shouldn't have had that place. I had to rewire the whole electrics. I mean, it was a pretty bold mental move. I would never have made that move now had I... Wait, because you'd have me there going, whoa. Whoa, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? No, no, no. <laughs> pretty no. much. So you've gone, you've built up, you've, you've took on your first salon, which mm. was your first salon. Yes. You've obviously done pretty well to then be looking upwards at bigger shops. Mm-hmm. Then this big double fronted, and just for context, I know the premises. That the strange thing is, mm-hmm. I do a lot of work in Worcester, and I've got a really good customer on my own that I've worked for for years that has got a property literally just up the road. Now, I used to walk past Angie's old salon before I knew her, before I knew anything of her, because by the time we met, this place had gone. Um, I remember seeing that place open and thinking, wow. That's, you know, that that's quite a big salon. Um, so you've, obviously you've took on the tenancy. My face was in. on the, on the uh, sign, funny enough. So was you'd it? have actually seen me a few times. I was on yeah. the, on the, um. Wasn't it your wedding sign? picture? Yeah, it was a wedding yeah. picture, number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So obviously in Angie's private life, she's now made it to number two. <laughs> At this point. <laughs> <laughs> so you've, you've took on this big big premises now in Worcester what was life like for you there because obviously it's bigger so you've got more staff yeah yeah I had about seven staff working for me at that point um it's mad really because when I look back now I feel like I was winging the whole thing Mm. like I'm having to learn how to be a manager uh learn how to run a big shop um and do the job at the same time it was a it was a lot and I <laughs> to this day <laughs> don't even know how I managed to pull that off at that point how long were you there um is it a couple of years or two three years at the most okay and then the catalyst of why that sink that ship started to sink was I went through divorce number two mm. and every penny that I got from that divorce went into holding that shop up Mm. and and to be honest in fairness did I let go I wasn't in my the right mental frame of mind at that point in my life I just let go I was getting sick of it this is the the thing isn't it when when it comes to like work life personal life and the balance um and I think it's naive to think that your personal life doesn't affect your business. I know a lot of people personally, you know, they go through private things and they take their eye off the ball. Well, they even resent the business. They mm. just, they want to almost walk away from everything associated to that life. Well, that's what happened was I started to resent the fact that all this money was going into it just mm. to keep it afloat. Um, and I think I was resenting the, that, and I wanted out. I, I just didn't want to be there anymore. It was like I was now entering a new chapter in my life at that point. Um, to a point where I sort of lost everything. Everything kind of went to shit. So I had to spend like the next sort of few years, in which you'll know as well, is just rediscovering myself. Well, in fairness, when we met... Um, you were just leaving that salon. Yeah, yeah. You, was. That was at that point. I think you were clearing the place yeah, out. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Um, so that that was where I came along, 
uh, into the situation and then found out it was that salon and, and all the rest of it. Um, but looking back at that time now, what would you say was, was the biggest lesson you took from having that big salon, seven people working for you? And obviously it didn't work out and you mm -hmm. then had to rebuild and we'll get onto that in a minute. But what was the lesson you took from that experience? The lesson was, and I know you're going to think I'm going to sound like a contradiction right now, was not allowing my emotions to rule my business. So what I mean by that when I say it is if there's something wrong that's going on in my personal life now, let's say, it, it's not shown. To I don't let that get in the way. I don't let it affect my business because I'm fully aware of what could happen because it's happened. Mm. Um, but at, at the same time, I mean, when I look back, I took on such a big premises with n not a full business plan in play. And I wasn't thinking I was blinkered. So taking what I take from it is, is thinking a bit more, even though like, I know my thinking is impulsive, but I probably think a lot more strategically now than I did back then. And I wasn't then because I was still learning. Well, I think knowing you how I know you, you are a gambler. Mm. Um, I don't I, gamble in Vegas, by the way. No, not I don't fine. Like, not, I don't like don't, gambling yeah, in that way. <laughs> exactly. No, but in business you yeah, do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and there's that whole, you know, you, you have to, I mean, some of the best entrepreneurs out there have gone bankrupt numerous times. I mean, look at Richard Branson, for mm. example. They'll throw things out there to see what works. And you've kind of got a little bit of that about you. Mm. Um, a lot of that about you <laughs> but so you've gone I mean would you ever could you ever see yourself scaling up your salon business again to the point where you would got say seven people working for you I mean you never know obviously after I'd had that salon and then I downsized to that one little room that I had in Kidderminster um I wasn't ready to have anyone work with me I'd I was mentally exhausted from it mm. and I needed time to just recover because I didn't want to be an asshole. If I then went straight back into re-employing people, mm. I'd have turned into an asshole, which is what happens in business. That's why people end up assholes because of certain situations or experiences. And I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be horrible because yeah. I know what that was like on the other side. And was it with that the salon, was that, like, was it a gradual thing? Did you did you have seven people on and then close and then you had to let them go or, or did it It was a gradual thing. I think they all started going off in their own directions. They'd been with me for some time. Yeah. And in the end, there was like one left with me. Right. So I'd gone away to America for a month and the last person that was there said that they were leaving mm. but would work whilst I was still away. Um. And then when I come back, there was only two of us. See, I mean, that in itself, mm. you know, you went away to America for a month mm. uh, as a business owner. How do you even do that? Oh, it's commerce, commercial suicide. Yeah. Like I shouldn't have gone away. I should have stayed and worked on my business. But in, in my mind, I wasn't invested. I'd left. Mm. I've tapped out at this point. I didn't care having the mindset that you now have and like looking into things like stoic philosophy, mm -hmm. which we're both big on, mm -hmm. 
how do you feel about that time in that salon now? Do you see it as a loss? Do you see it as, how do you see that? I don't see it as a loss. I see it as a stumble block to get to where I was going to be. Yeah. So it was never, I don't look back and have any regrets on it. I don't, I don't really have any emotion. Like we drive past it all the time. Mm. I always acknowledge it. It's there, you know, but I don't have any emotion to it. I personally would go further. I, I think it was a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think Absolutely. that you probably needed that, mm. needed that experience and to a degree, some humbling, mm. you know, to, it's a business lesson, isn't it? Mm. Um, and then, you know, you've just mentioned briefly there, but you've gone from this big double fronted place. And then when I met you, you were just moving salon and you then moved to what? What was your business situation after letting go of the big salon in Worcester? So I rented a room in uh, Kidderminster um, and I was there for about a year, I think I was. was it? Mm, you were still working in Worcester as well, weren't you? Across yes, I was. I was commuting. So I yeah. uh, basically went to see a salon across the road from where my old salon was to rent space two days a week. It was a Saturday and a Thursday, I think it was. Yeah, mm. um, because I still had lots of Worcester clients. So I still wanted to service that. And over a period of time, it kind of phased out. It was in my interest to then be Kidderminster Starport end because then obviously the current location that I'm in now happened. Mm. Well, that was it. So when I met you, um, you'd just moved into this place in Kidderminster and I obviously we'd just met. I didn't know you all that well, mm. but I can remember thinking myself like, wow, because I knew the size of the last one. I was like, wow, she's gone from that to this. Because As you're... if you were judging me then. I wasn't judging you <laughs> per se, but it was definitely it was definitely like uh I could tell that there must have been a fall from grace mm-hmm. because just based on size, because mm-hmm. the, the next premises you took on was essentially I mean it was a nice little room, but it, it was a room above shops, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean how how did that feel going from or was it a relief to get uh, rid of the at big At that place? point it was a relief, but probably I battled for about seven to eight months with the ego side of it on how I might look that I'd look like a failure that uh, I wasn't good at what I was trying to do so like that whole ego thing and there's another word for it I'm looking for I can't think what it is but um I felt like a complete failure for like Mm. what now what now so I had to like suck it up buttercup I literally had to suck it up and just be like, it's happened now. It's yeah. happened. It's part of life. I've, I can either sit there and stay in that feeling or just, you know what, own it. Like it didn't work a bit off more than I could chew. Life got in the way. My personal life got in the way. And um, let's let's rebuild. And, th- and that's exactly what you did though, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, I'm just, I was just sort of, evaluating it myself then I'm sat there thinking it's just been a roller coaster hasn't it like mm-hmm. you've gone from wanting to learn the trade effectively being blown up going into sales going part-time getting a salon that was successful overreaching into a bigger premises which has failed and then ending up back in probably a smaller premise than your first one would that be right yeah, well, yeah. well, so it must have felt like yeah. a big backwards step. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to then have to overcome that mentally because so many people at that point would throw the towel in. Yeah, I think, and just sort of go, no, it didn't work, and 
the pain of that and the ego and, and all the rest of it. Did you ever feel like quitting altogether and just going and getting a, I don't know, a normal job, whatever that might be? I never, ever once considered a normal job because once you've been self-employed for that long, there is no going back to being employed. And I was not going to go and work for egos. I wouldn't have lasted two minutes. So, I mean, where I was in that part of my life, if I'd have not met you, I'd have buggered off to America. I think I would have just thrown the towel in that way and jumped ship and gone to another country. Mm. I mean, at that point, I was familiar with going away on my own, so it didn't phase me I had to learn to be alone because I had not been alone so I had to get comfortable with that's interesting why, why would you say that you'd have left the country and gone somewhere to another country I guess I've always had a pull to America every time mm. I've been to America whatever the case may be I've always felt at home there so I've been drawn and pulled obviously I have family there as well which obviously is another reason to be pulled there yeah. but I think at that point had I not met you, I would have absolutely have gone. I would have gone. But and then tried to do the same. Probably, yeah. Over there. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Okay. That's interesting. Because it's, I mean, I know that you've got a pull to the States anyway, and the fact that I'm obviously anchoring you to the UK these days. <laughs> um, but it's uh, some people that would want to go, that would be like the plan anyway. Mm -hmm. It would be like, you know, I'll, I'll build the business, whatever, and then go abroad regardless. But it just, I was just wondering whether it would be, whether it was a case of running away because things hadn't gone the way that you wanted to here, or whether it's like an aspiration that you've always wanted to do anyway. Um, good question. I mean, I've always had a pull to America. I went when I was really young before I even knew I had family in America. So when I'd been before, I'd always have a pull to it. Um, I don't know why. It might be a past life thing. Who knows? Um, but I think that maybe I was running away. Maybe it was that I was just like, just get me the hell out of I'm done. Mm. I'm done with this country. I'm done with this shit. Get me out of here. So, yeah, I probably was running. When I went for yeah. a month, I was running away. That'd be understandable. I mean, yeah. as well as that, to touch on your personal life, obviously you've mentioned there that you were going through your second divorce. Mm -hmm. So, and in fairness, you know, you're not that old to be going through two divorces. So that must have had... It's the first it, time you said I'm not old. He always calls me old. Because she's a lot older than me. Honey <laughs> um, <laughs> fucker. Um, but that must have had some kind of mental impact where, I mean, how... Let's go there. How, how did it feel to be going through your second divorce at, what, 30? 30? Yeah, it's around I'm trying then. to work out how old you were when remember. we met. 33? I guess we, you were 35 when we met. So. I was early 30s. Um, I was gutted. I was gutted because I didn't, like, you know, when I got married the first time, I got married in the church to the school that I went to. Mm -hmm. I didn't envision getting married the second time. I, number one, knew that and used to use that against me to keep me in that relationship longer. Mm. Um, so it fucked with my head. But I then um, st stuck, stuck it out in number two longer than probably I should have mm. because I didn't want that 
break again i didn't want you know failed marriage failed business it like it all yeah. it was a catalyst and do you did you feel judged by that yeah 100 percent. back then i was always worried about what other people think mm. like i was so conscious i mean it's not just that i had the family side of it the guilt from my mother like you'll never get anyone better i think you find a did. <laughs> upgrade sat right here ladies and gents <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, that, that must have been like a big, a big consideration for you at the time. And again, I think it speaks to your resilience. The fact that not only did you keep bouncing back in business, <laughs> you've also bounced back and got married again and tried it again. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, it does speak to your character, I think. I think like touching on the whole marriage thing, I think like, obviously I've had, I've evolved, as you know, a lot as a person since we've met, mm. you know, I've rediscovered myself, refound myself, however you want to look at it, it has happened. But when I look back on that person that was married those two times before, I don't regret any of them. I mean, I'd still bury number one, but whatever. Um, I, I don't, I don't regret any of it, but I think what was underlining in all of that was that need of being in a family being wanted being needed stability um so i i was doing all these things i was getting into these relationships when they weren't necessarily the right relationship mm. i was just hunting a, a need that i was lacking but i was getting from the wrong wrong people so yeah some people think oh god she's been married three times yeah that's right i have but Sometimes I feel like people shouldn't have to be ashamed of certain things now uh, because had I not have gone through those two marriages, we wouldn't have the marriage we have now. Yeah, absolutely. And it, the thing is, I mean, marriage is subjective, isn't it? Um, as you, you know, my feelings on marriage, but the, there are two things. There's having a wedding and there's getting married. But mm. the fact that you've married more people you know, there's people out there that have had more relationships than you and more long-term relationships than you. They just haven't signed a bit of paper. Does that really make a big difference? No. It no. just means that at some point you thought that that was going to be it for mm. the right or for the wrong reasons. And whether it was, you know, meant to be, obviously it wasn't. Mm. Um, but I don't think signing that bit of paper should really carry any more weight than people that might have gone through as i said it's just stereotyping know. isn't it people it is. are well, yeah. views and values yeah. isn't it it's very dated mm, absolutely so good job as well eh? <laughs> but then I, I mean in reality i don't think you know i mean i didn't judge you for it uh, even though I, I thought you was gonna i was quite relieved that you weren't an escort to be honest or a stripper, or a stripper. <laughs> yeah i was like yes and i'll take been married twice <laughs> over those two that's that's good not sure how i'd have uh handled the other news had it gone that way um but yeah, it's uh, it didn't bother me, um, and I don't think anyone judges you for it now. No, I mean, I think I was more harder on myself, and I think that comes down to that whole Polish background, because mm. in the Polish community, particularly in that generation, it was unheard of. You can get married once. You only got married once, never mind twice or yeah. three times, you know? So it, it was always that, and I, I think I was just battling it with my own head, but it come to a point where... I didn't even know who the hell I was anymore. Like, so having that time being si single for a bit made me 
start it kind of opened that door to there was like a the creaking little door that was like actually let's learn about me and who I am yeah because I didn't know me well I mean obviously it was beneficial mm. you know that, that that sort of time for you being single but I mean to pull it back to business now because we've gone off on a, a marriage tangent um so you when I met you, as I said, you've, you've moved into the small premises in Kidderminster. What happened after that? So you were there for a year, was it? About a year, a yeah. year. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And, um, and you were always busy in that time. I remember you were always busy. Yeah, so. absolutely. So what then happened was um, there was another level upstairs. So uh, the landlord that was the, you know, the whatever he was there, um always promised never to move in a business that was similar to the businesses that were already uh, there. I remember now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he basically moved in a hair and beauty salon upstairs above us. Mm. So direct competition. Uh, it wasn't anything against the people that were moving in that I never had an issue with that. I had an issue with his actions, yeah, what course. he'd said, what he'd promised and what he did. Um, and very randomly we had a number of meetings with him as you knew mm. back then um and one of the girls that worked as a hairdresser she rented another like room next to me it, it was her that saw the location advertised on facebook where i'm at now the, in, the Stourport. Shop in Stourport. yeah in Stourport. Mm. so it was her that gave me um the details sent it to me and obviously as you know being part of that mm. you um were privy to obviously that whole process so I contacted them and we went to view it um went to view it was like um I suppose to walk in at first it was I could see the potential having a painter decorator boy we weren't married no we weren't married having a painter decorator no, boyfriend we no. at the time was very helpful mm. um so I could see past the facial stuff it yeah. was a just a nice because what was space. wrong with it when you took it on because obviously we know this but the people listening don't um it was just very man cavey yeah it was so it just, been, what was it before it was a, a barbers, barbers yeah. yeah so yeah so it was just very man cavey it had a, a mural on it mural, with yeah, like new york style, new york style. It was very dark yeah. dungeony almost yeah so, so literally and again another impulsive move decided to leave where i was I think that was a little less impulsive, yeah, probably. to be honest. I mean, More you'd calculated. Done, I think you'd almost sort of, this is the way I saw it, is you'd kind of, you'd recovered from the, the downfall, the fall from grace from the big shop. Mm. You'd had a, a stable year in a, a smaller premises that really had no potential moving forwards. Um, and then the opportunity came up. So that, to me, is like a good, solid business move. Mm. Um, and obviously the shop that you're now in was a high street shop. Uh, as he said, a little bit dated, needed a bit of work. Um, and, uh, yeah, you, you, well, I was there when you got the tenancy signed on that. That was mm. done there and then, wasn't it? Yeah, so that's been, I think it's this, this year now, six years. Wow. It's the longest I've ever been anywhere. You're quite happy there, though, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I've got, like... Els, who works for me, who is just like my little best mate. Mm. We work really well together and we know each other really well. So, and she's like my, one of my landlord's stepdaughters. So it, it just works. It works really well. And obviously we've evolved together Yeah, as time has passed. Oh, I, know, I know the affinity that you've got for Els. Mm. Um, and Els is unique for her age, isn't she? Mm. Um, you know, she's, she's got that mindset and I can see her going far. 
Yeah, she will future. absolutely. She's, um, she's got a bright future that one. Um, but so obviously you've been there six years now. Being a part of this journey now, I know a bit of this. So we got this. We got the salon ready. You've opened. Um, caused quite a scene, didn't you, in in Stourport on the opening? <laughs> Do you want to talk about your opening day and and your friends' participation of that? So basically, um, we had an open day. I was pretty pissed because it happened on that stupid football World Cup oh, thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it, Midland it was today were going to come, weren't yeah, they? Yeah. But because England, England got, got through. through and they lost anyway, so well, mm, true story. Shit news. Um, so yeah, I had all my girls turn up, um, all very dressed in various different outfits, creating a stir. Now to set the scene, Stourport, where we are, is is quite. It's a lovely little town. I really like it. Um, but it is quite old school. Everybody knows everybody. It's very gossipy. Um, mm. but it, it's quite sort of like quaint, isn't it? That, you yeah. Know, everyone knows everyone. They're not people. <laughs> extravagant people are not the norm so basically my friends are quite extravagant they're like wild i think sophie's outfit was spoken about for months absolutely it It was the best outfit going (laughs) and especially she so one of angie's friends sophie who was in a a cat suit yeah with holes in it everywhere that was it was actually stopping traffic (laughs) to, uh, to take pictures in the high street which was, um, yeah, word, word got around about that one, put it that way. Um, so you, you've opened this salon. Things have gone well. You've, you've mm-hmm. started to grow that business. Now, when you first opened that salon, it was all hair and – all hair, wasn't it? Was there no, beauty there was or? beauty. I did lashes. Okay. And then okay. waxing lashes and waxing. That's pretty much what I did. Yeah. And then – so what was it? Uh, I'm trying to think of the dates now. When would you have opened there? 19? Roughly. No, before. Just before our Vegas wedding. Okay. No, um, so, no before our actual wedding, because I got my dress from the start. So 2018. Shop. Yeah. 2018 you've opened. So you've had 18 months of, of business where things were going really well. The salon's growing, business is growing, and then COVID. Mm, so... I mean, we get to that was 2020 wasn't it 2020 March it was just after we got back yeah Yeah. so 2020 COVID comes along um and your business you you go in from a a period of growth where everything's looking positive everything's looking up and then bang yeah trauma yeah I mean I was distraught do you remember I was like I was so emotional over it at the beginning yeah it was so weird though wasn't it because initially there was that period where it, nobody really knew what was happening. And mm. I think the first closure you were semi-okay with because there was the grants. I didn't feel like I was. <laughs> it, it was the, I think it was the ones after that were worse. Mm, yeah. um, but the nobody really knew. And, you know, you kind of thought, oh, it might only be a few weeks and there's mm. going to be a grant to support you and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but how how did that feel, having complete power, of your own business, your own lifeline, just taken away from you with a click of her fingers? It was horrible. Like, I was distraught. I don't like being out of control at the best of times. But having someone like the government tell me I can't go to to work, I can't open my shop, because if I open my shop, they're going to fine me £10,000. I was gutted. I was absolutely gutted. I felt like I was starting to get somewhere. 
Yeah. And then poof. And obviously this has affected everybody in your yeah, industry. And absolutely. A lot of people that One of the worst affected is personal care and events. Massively, yeah. yeah. I mean, we had completely contrasting COVIDs mm. because I work in the building trades and the, at no point was I ever stopped from working. Mm. So I worked all the way through. In fact, I probably took extra work on to float the fact that the salon was shut. Mm. Um, so I know that it was a lot harder for you because you're such a active person, mm-hmm. um, how did you find being told to stop? Angry. I think there was, especially after the first lockdown, the second lockdown, I was angry. I was pissed off because mm-hmm. in my head, I'm I'm very logical and I'm a critical thinker. I'm thinking, so people can open the the food shops. Everybody can touch all the same things. But I can't open my shop. So I got angry. I was really angry about it um, and resentful probably. But once I lose emotion, once I lose anger, I then hit a different level. And that's where the resurrection happened for me. It was like, right, okay, if you're not going not gonna to let me work, well, I'm going to find other ways to work. Mm. And that's when I then jumped into every possible thing from selling perfume remember fm do, yeah. yeah selling perfume um create staying up i was up until like two in the morning on the computer at the time um building courses online courses trying to learn about how to do that mm. um just kind of trying to find another way to hustle in effect <laughs> but again though this is you isn't it mm. like so many people at that point would have just gone okay then Mm. and roll over and and wait Mm. um which in effect you know i don't think anybody would have blamed you for doing or for anybody else for doing because nobody knew what was going on and i I remember personally one of the most frustrating things i saw was the way that they would sort of tell you right you know if if you go and get this ppe and buy these perspex screens and put these stickers on the floor and all that kind of stuff then you can open and then you'd spend all that money you'd outlay all that put all those things in place move the salon around to accommodate the restrictions and then two weeks later they shut you again yeah I was yeah I was really really angry about that because ultimately my industry personal care it's clean anyway like you know we're always sanitizing anyway Mm. we have to clean down beds we have to do this we have to do that so it wasn't anything unusual other than all the extra things that they made us do um and then the whole kind of restricting the mask wearing them being completely muzzled up and having to communicate with people and not see their mouths move was just horrendous but yeah it 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 was wasn't cool i wasn't happy but i'm now de- dealt a situation in life i've got one of two things i can do i kind of allow it to consume me mm. or i find another way I've, i think i became very aware that at that point i need a number of different avenues and streams of income coming in because i was that scared of being locked down i was working like it i think i'm probably still like it now I work like it's going like I'm going to be locked down again. So with the grants coming in and various different things, I then decided that I needed to head down another route and that's when I then started getting the um makeup range. You remember the makeup I brushes, do, yeah, yeah. the lip glosses, the foundations. Every bit of money I was getting from the grants, I was reinvesting. 
mm. and putting it into something else. And then obviously I then did the microblading course. Um, from that then led into aesthetics. So every bit of money went mm. back in because I knew that I needed other avenues to make money because I was watching what was happening around me. And those that just did beauty, those that just did hair, had quiet times because they lost clients off the back of COVID, not through death, but people stopped going. Well, a lot of salons folded, didn't they, around that time? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, and I mean, to be honest with you, I remember having the conversation with you where mm. I actually said to you, look, if this continues much longer, we'll have to think about le letting the lease go on the, on the salon because mm. it was just becoming unviable. The, you know, it was like a, having a, metal chain around your neck and trying to swim mm. it was with the way it was going and the money they were making you spend and then it because it wasn't as simple was it as mm. oh okay you can open now mm -hmm. it was then having to manage your client base and your clients fears and anxieties I mean how how did all that feel because even when you were open there was that over the, the dark cloud over you at any point oh, there'll be another lockdown. Mm. But how did you cope with the anxiety and pressure of that? Good question. I don't know is, is the honest answer other than having to grow thick skin and get on with it. But I do feel that it was my sales background that kicked in because I'm then going back to that person where I'm thinking, right, okay, if I do this, 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 and that, when that goes quiet, I still have this or I can do that. And mm. that's what happened. I just started doing a shitload of courses, didn't I? Yeah. And so I guess it was sink or swim. And you swim. I had to swim, yeah. I mean, it, it came closer, didn't it? Let's be yeah, honest. It, yeah. it did come close. Was there ever a time again where you thought, fuck this? No. 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 Not once. Not once. Because I think personally, I think I would have. Mm. Um, I would have probably again began to resent the the weight of having the responsibility of being a business owner in that context. I think because of what happened with salon number two, I was I was like, even though COVID was out of my control, mm. it wasn't happening again. There was no option for that to happen again. I was going to find a way. There was going to be a way. I was not, not, I was never not closing. I was not closing. Uh, and if it was in my, my control, then I was going to do absolutely everything I could possibly do to make it successful, make it where it is today. Well, again, I mean, talk, looking back now, um, because you're, obviously you've pushed massively into aesthetics now. I have, yes. And that was fueled essentially by the situation with COVID. Mm -hmm. Now. Again, with the, the stoic mindset, you've almost got to think or be thankful that that happened. Oh, absolutely. Like now when I look back, I, it's the best thing that happened to me in my yeah. business. The best thing, because I wouldn't have gone into all of these directions that I had with the microblading, with the aesthetics. And I absolutely love injecting. And it's the side of me that's sick and twisted that just loves sticking a needle in someone's face but it, it's that winding path isn't it that mm. roller coaster of things that have happened to you that have now led you to where you are mm -hmm. today mm -hmm. We've just had another light go off haven't we yeah what was oh, that that one, there, yeah. yeah um so it 
again, it's a, a bizarre thing, isn't it? I mean, I don't personally believe in fate, but everything that has happened has led you to this point. And had those things not happened, you wouldn't have made the decisions you have. So looking back, you've almost got to be grateful for all the adversity that you've faced that has pushed you to where you are today. I think throughout my whole life, in all of the adversities that I've experienced, I've always never been a wallower in my self-pity. I'll have moments mm. where I'll feel sorry for myself like a dog does, but then then I'm relentless. I'm like that dog with the bone that like I'm going. I've got mm. to change. It's got to it, it's your famous saying, there can't be no change without change. So very in order, simple one. Yeah, very, one. very simple. But in order for things to be different, you have to change. You have to either change what you're doing or you have to change yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the way I see it is you have bent several times but never broken. Mm. So you've bent from the pressure of a big salon down into a smaller one and then you've mm. sprung back to you know, a, a financially viable position that you're in now. Mm-hmm. Um, same with COVID, you know, you've had to bend to somebody else's pressures, uh, but you never broke. You've mm. clung on in there. You've remodeled your business countless times um, and you're continuing to do so. So so you get through that, um, which must have been a frustrating time because there's a couple of years gone by there through COVID, mm-hmm. a couple of years of wasted growth. The business was growing and then all of a sudden you've probably took, you know, half a dozen steps backwards. Mm-hmm. You've then had to essentially reestablish within a different demographic of business. So microblading, mm-hmm. that was where you first ventured into aesthetics. Needlework, yeah. So basically I knew that I needed six months worth of microblading to get into aesthetics. Prior to that, no one really knew whether a non-medic could practice aesthetics. It was always led within industry that you have to be a medical professional. But then there was like certain celebrities over time that were doing aesthetics. Uh, So then I started to look into it a little bit more and then transpired that if I had some sort of needling work from an insurance point of view, I needed six months. But bearing in mind as we know, there's no regulations in aesthetics at all. Um, so I knew that it was a numbers game again. So I did microblading after microblading after microblading, and I could prove a portfolio of what I did in that period of time to then allow me to get into doing aesthetics. So how long have you been practicing aesthetics now? Three years. Um, to three years. To be fair, I think it'd be fair to say you've been you've smashed it in that mm. recently. I think you've really, I can see the passion you have for it in comparison. Not that you don't like hairdressing mm-hmm. or didn't like hairdressing, but there's a real light. I don't know whether it, cause it's new, but there's a real spark in your eye when you talk about all things aesthetics. I think it, what comes down to, cause your hair's the hair, right? When you alter somebody's face and then you watch them look in that mirror and you see how they view themselves in comparison to how they did view themselves, after you've created this like remodeling of their face, so to speak, the difference in seeing their self-esteem and then seeing them again after when I'm having a review with them after that everything's settled down and that their confidence and how thankful they are, 
that's what makes me buzz. It's watching mm. that. It's that that little journey of that client and me making a difference to how they feel about themselves. I must admit, I mean, again, something that I've got to give you credit for. And whenever I talk about what you do to people, the one thing I always say is that she's obsessed. So in terms of once you've decided you're going to learn a craft, you do every course available to be the best you possibly can at that. There's no mm. half measures with you. So which you do do, you know, mm. you, all in or all out. Hyper, I often say you hyper focus yeah. on things um, and you've done that with aesthetics. But this is your time to boast, lady. What, what have you achieved in the last three years? Gosh, so four awards um in various different customer services aesthetics entrepreneurship um what else have i achieved you've also judged haven't you i've judged yeah i've judged for the beauty uk awards how did that feel the first how many judge you one have you done one award as a judge oh um technically three my, my third one because okay. i've got the female boss awards coming oh, up this yeah. year yeah um and then there was another one in between, but that hasn't and happened yet. How did it feel for that first time where somebody reached out and asked you to judge other people within the aesthetics industry? I think I've had a lot of imposter syndrome in my work career because of the, some of the failures that I've had. And to get to a point where someone can see something in me and then to be asked was such a big deal because I thought okay maybe I'm all right at what I do there must have been a validation yeah 100% there was a validation there because you know they've seen something in me that maybe I haven't seen mm. a bit like the whole kind of being asked to be brand ambassador for Lumi filming you know how crazy obsessed I am and how crazy been. obsessed this girl's got tattooed Yes, I have got a Lumifil tattoo. Show the camera your tattoo, Ange. Come I don't on. Know if they can see it. It's there. <laughs> it's there. They might do. So a lot of people think I was crazy, and there'll be a lot of people that maybe in one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, imagine. I'll tell you about how I actually softened the blow here. So imagine this. It's, this is top secret. Only me and Els know what I'm planning to do. Because I knew if I told him, he'd be like, "What the fuck? Why, why would you get a brand's name tattooed on? What's wrong with you, fucking chav?" what probably what he was thinking um and other people were probably thinking oh she's done that for attention she's done this she's done that but anyone that knows me well enough even though you couldn't understand only after you understood um still don't understand <laughs> but the reason i had done what i had done was loomy phil played a massive part in my career like the opportunities that I've been presented with as a result of being a brand ambassador for them, mm. um, the masterclass that I've been on with Dr. Kataria, uh, the facial balancing one, that was a game changer for me. They've played a massive part, but it isn't just that alone. It's it's the community that Lumifil have built. Yeah. It's the community of the people that work with them and they've given me a sense of like safe even though I've got that family life with you and the kids and stuff like that, it was different. It was like mm. a different hit. It was something that screaming out from my childhood that was being fulfilled there. It's another validation, isn't it, as well? Yeah. Because Lumi Filler are obviously an established big brand and they've asked you to be an ambassador for them and that says something For your in itself. Rope, yeah, it's massive. Um, 
so again, there's another validation there, isn't there? Of, yeah. Well, actually, I must be doing something right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like, I mean, you know what happened that, that night. That message came through from uh, Europe. Mm. I was having a meltdown about studying, wasn't I? And oh, yeah, yeah. I was literally getting frustrated running around the front room, hitting my head, saying, why am I so sick? Why don't I understand what, what this writing is? And Russ was constantly like, it's just the way that you learn. It's different. And obviously when I'm faced with him and he, he's just gifted, he's just like, boom, done. Whereas I have to spend <laughs> time understanding and learning and translating it to a way that I understand and the way I learn. And um, I took myself away, went upstairs to the bedroom and I got this message uh, from Lumiphil Europe inviting me to be brand ambassador and I literally burst into tears I come running down the stairs and Ross was like thinking that I'd got that frustrated with learning that like it's all right babe calm down and I'm like no you don't understand <laughs> I've been up and yeah been asked to be brand ambassador yeah. i won't do my pretend crying face myself <laughs> just realize the camera's on me <laughs> but yeah it was it played such a massive part so going back to the tattoo thing because of the validation and the way that it made me feel um i felt like it was part of my journey they were part of my journey mm. in my whole career so i wanted to um show my gratitude and appreciation which is probably more extreme than most people do but I'm me so you know I don't do things by halves I go full in so there I was Els and I were going to um the tattoo place and um I went and had my Lumifil tattoo on my injecting arm and then Russ had seen it on social media yeah so let's just highlight that <laughs> Russ had seen it on social media <laughs> So the first I know of this is I'm sat there casually eating my chicken and bacon sandwich. I'm going to guess that that was what it was. I don't really remember, but there's a good solid guess. I'm casually just having some lunch at work and pop up pops Angie's stories on Instagram and she's <laughs> in a tattoo shop. So as you can imagine, my reaction was pretty much like, what the fuck? <laughs> so so yeah. let us, what the, what have you done? He said, what have you done? What the fuck? Why do you feel like you didn't need, you, you couldn't tell me? He was more pissed that I didn't tell him and that I was being sneaky, sneaky. I was more pissed that you didn't tell yeah, me. Yeah, I know exactly what that was. But I was hiding another another thing that I did that I did not put on social media. So True story. Yeah. She had my face tattooed on her bum. He fucking wishes. <laughs> This, he goes on about me getting a face tattooed. I wouldn't actually want you to get my face tattooed, to be honest. I don't want to look at my face, do I? <laughs> That's where you put it, isn't it? True story. <laughs> um, but I'd actually had a tattoo years prior. I had a tattoo saying hashtag him and R, and, and R his letter. Um, so I had the tattoo finished to complete his name. So he's going off at me. And then I just dropped him a picture of my other new tattoo and it shut him up just like that instantly yeah, I felt a bit bad at that point I'm yeah. not gonna lie yeah <laughs> so that, that that's how that come about but yeah you know I do things they're not conventional they're not the normal way most people would do it and I probably do get judged for some of the moves that I make but I know why I'm doing it 
those moves. I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. It isn't to seek attention, which Mm. is what people would think. And that comes with part and part that I'm at that point in my life. I'm too busy. I'm too tired to care what anyone may think because that's on them. Yeah, I think we've both reached that point mm. where we're, we're very much making our own moves. Mm. Um, so, I mean, business-wise, so six years, three last three years in aesthetics, multiple award wins, multiple judging positions. Um, 2024, here we are now. So, obviously, at the moment, all, I mean, there's probably a load more than this I'm just not aware of, but I'm aware that you're going to be a judge at the Female Boss Awards. I What's am. that one? So that's like, you know, similar to some of the other awards that I'd been to over the last 12 months. Mm. But this one's a little bit different. It's not structured in the same way that some of the others are. And don't get me wrong, the other events, I've always had a great time. They're great events and they're done on such a big scale. But I believe this one is more driven on female empowerment and joining women together because what has occurred, I suppose, previously when we're all sat at tables, Mm. we're all sat with our own people. Yeah. And salons, clinics, they're all sat with themselves. No one's mixing. So I think this one's sort of about bringing a little bit of change in and getting people to kind of mix and have a good night and what are you judging in this one uh best facial um balancing okay yeah yeah i'm no expert on this i'm in the building trades but i do know probably far more about aesthetics as than i should do as a man (laughs) um and i've heard you talk a lot about the whole facial balancing yeah so that was a natural place for me to go because facial balancing it's it's really all about looking and assessing someone's face from every possible angle and looking at what they might need opposed to them saying, well, I want one, I want two meals of filler in my cheeks, Mm. but they might not need cheeks. Actually what they're looking for is the illusion of their face to be lifted. And by strategically placing filler in various different areas of the face, you create a balanced effect from every angle, every profile that you look. Cool. So, yeah. And you'll be judging other people's work in that yeah. demographic. Yeah, yeah. So people will obviously apply, I guess, just in the same way as like I applied to uh, be a judge, uh, sorry, for entering as an entrant Yeah. Um, in the same way. And then obviously, I mean, I'm not really sure exactly what the process is going to be but that isn't until this september now cool okay so we've got the judge the uh, the judge a judge at the female boss awards and obviously uh a podcast yes the podcast the podcast so i know this but for those listening what's the purpose of the podcast why have you started a podcast I mean, for me, it's always been important to do things that I like doing. And I love talking on camera. That's I'm not shy of talking on camera at all. Loves the sound of her own voice, this one. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get in there, that in there because she is always saying that to Stop me. Stop touching the mic. You no, keep doing there's that. there's nothing wrong with touching the mic. You're going to make it all fuzzy. Makes me feel like a singer. <laughs> do not sing. <laughs> do not sing. <laughs> that is a hidden talent. <laughs> he wishes. Um, what was your question? 
forgot now. Uh, I podcast, why, podcast, yeah. yeah so why? why? Um, I think that I listen to a lot of podcasts myself, um, and I love listening to podcasts. I love listening to audible books. I love learning, and I've learned a lot personally from listening to podcasts. What have you learned? What is the what's the main thing that you've learned from podcasts? Probably about being self-aware and accepting what has happened because a lot of people talk about their past they can't change it but their past has molded them to be where they are where they are at today Mm. so I wanted to kind of um do something where I could help other people in the same way that I've been helped um obviously I come with business to business experience I've had that and I could say or do something that could change someone's game in the same way I do when I do masterclasses. That's the other thing I did launch as well was obviously my academy. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, Academy and training people in aesthetics. I was already training before. This is what I mean though. I lose track. (laughs) You do so many things. I lose track. (laughs) Yeah, literally. So point of the podcast is to kind of have another avenue to um, go in other directions where mm. it kind of helps people, helps brands, brands that might want to sponsor the podcast, um, get their brand out there. I've got something actually really exciting coming up where where it comes to another brand. And Ooh, yeah, yeah, there's going to be a game changer okay. in um, the way consultation is done in aesthetics. And I believe it is the first thing in the uk it's already in another country but Mm -hmm. this is the first in the uk it's a bit of bait on the rod there so when can people expect the full drop on that big announcement any day now okay any day now is going to be massive news for the industry so i'm really excited to be kind of leading and pushing forwards with that because the moment I had that conversation I knew that it would be a game changer because I knew the change that needed to occur in order Exciting for stuff. things to be yeah uh, here's a question that I think you're possibly going to struggle to answer because I've asked you this before and you've never got an answer for me so on record where do you see yourself in five years time where do you see your business? What would you, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? So, as you know, I'm impulsive. Things just happen and it happens overnight. Um, I guess in the next five years, continuing to do what I'm doing, growing mentally, personally, and in my business. Um, but obviously, I've got other things that are going to be coming this year that not no one really knows about um that is going to change the course of my direction Mm. uh completely unrelated really to what i'm currently physically doing on a day-to-day basis would you say only fans is a bit different yeah yeah very different you know (laughs) gotta hustle gotta make that money we babe did i did i did we mention you're going to be on my only oh absolutely Yeah? yeah some like weird cd couples thing don't worry if any of the kids or anyone's listening to this right now it is a joke (laughs) yeah massive joke (laughs) that is not in our future (laughs) no that is not nobody wants to see that no and we probably would 
murder people. Quite possibly. All right, just for the record, no one's murdering anyone in case anyone flags this up. No one's murdering anyone. <laughs> We're just not doing that live. Right, let's get back to it. Where are you going to be in five years? Um, it's so hard to ask, answer that question. Retired oh, and know, owning a yacht. Five years, I'd like to just... There's parts of America I want to explore, like Miami. I want to be able to put myself or us in the situation that we can do more things. I'm glad you backtracked onto us there. <laughs> you thought I was going to run away to America. You did just say myself. <laughs> yeah, I would see myself in Miami, <laughs> living the bachelorette lifestyle. Yeah, nah. No, it is. It's me. a hard question to ask. It's that, hard. Nobody knows. Like, and if anything. But I would say where I see myself as is being maybe maybe carrying on being as resilient as I have been mm. and adaptable to change. Yeah. Because I think if you master the art of change and adapting to it, um, things move forward. They always move forwards. See, interestingly, obviously, as you know, I study psychology. Mm-hmm. But as part of our course, I think it was a couple of years ago, the question came up what is the definition of intelligence? And when you think about that question, it's actually quite a hard one to answer. What is So basically what you're saying is he's intelligent and I'm thick, but... No, that's not what I'm but... saying at all, actually. <laughs> but... Because the closest thing of a definition to intelligence you can get is the ability to adapt to one's surroundings. That's mm. it. So those that adapt will survive. You think of the animal kingdom, mm. yeah? surroundings change those that adapt will survive that is intelligence so what i was actually being nice there before you wanted to throw that at me <laughs> what i was saying is you adapt incredibly well yeah so you know i'm excited as your husband to see what the next five years bring that's for sure um obviously we've been chatting for a little while now i can't see how long we've however been. uh one hour 37 minutes oh wow world record there is a closing question Yes, so at the end of every uh, podcast that I do, although I'm on the other side at this point in time, I I would usually ask my guests to ask a question for the next person that's on my podcast. And obviously the last person on my podcast was my husband. And I asked him this question that I'm now going to have to answer. So what was that question? That question was, what was the last core belief that you changed your mind on and why? Good question. And I haven't had much time to think about this today either. Um, But the last thing and core belief was that, A, you can't save everybody unless they want to be saved themselves. I used to think that it was my responsibility to save people, but actually they might not not be ready to be saved. Mm, Um, Second to that is that never say never because you never know. There are things that I do or believe now that I never believed or was into. Well, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah. That's, you know, a core belief that you used to hold that you, have changed your mind on yeah you know positively or negatively yeah. either you don't yeah. believe something or you now believe something that you didn't in the past mm. so but it again comes down to being adaptable doesn't it yeah 
absolutely. So I think it's it's about remaining open-minded. Never say never because you never know. Anything can happen in life to alter your change, your belief system. And nothing is as straightforward as you see them. Sounds like a song lyric, that. I feel like. Never say never because you never Don't know. sing. Please don't <laughs> sing, Russell. Don't do this to okay, people. Okay, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Wow. Angie Monroe, where can you be found if people want to find you? Oh, they can find me at my shop or in the pod. No, jokes aside, they can find me on my Instagram, which is Angie Monroe Salon, and my other Instagram, which is Angie Monroe Aesthetics. You can also find me at the pod, the podcast studio one on Instagram or us, if you like. Um, and other than that, I'm based in Stourport. And if anyone wishes to um, come, Google her, Google, Google me. <laughs> no, but you're on all the socials, aren't you? Yeah, you're I'm on, on all the socials. It's TikTok, quite easy. YouTube. Yeah, all of it. All you of name it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Name it. It's there. Even come up with, uh, even come up with meatloaf. Remember meatloaf. that? Yeah, meatloaf. Oh, the YouTube thing. Not the YouTube thing. Was that not on YouTube? It was a reporter in America that contacted oh, me because okay. they'd seen my um, YouTube, my um, Facebook video of when meatloaf died. And the, they yeah. were dancing in the salon and singing away. Yeah. So now I'm forever associated to Meatloaf. The death of Meatloaf. Yeah. Who was a legend. True. So I guess kind of wrapping this up now, because we've been jawing away for ages. Um, do you feel like you've got to know me a bit better? Uh, I think I know you pretty well. Okay. Haven't learned anything new today. Then. Yeah, and a few little bits and pieces. <laughs> cool. Well, generally, at the end of my podcasts, I usually will ask the person a question. Oh, you yes. get to ask the question yourself to... now. Yes. Okay, big things. Yes, exactly. So, Angie, what question do you have for the next guest on the Angie Monroe podcast? My question would be, if you could go back to your younger self, knowing what you know today, what advice would you give that little person and why? Big one. Oh, and I know who's next. I've got oh, Molly. Yeah, I've got Molly next next week, next Sunday. So, Moles, if you're listening, babes, that is your question. There we go. Heads up. Anyways, thank you for listening. And if you want to hear more, don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast, uh, which thank can be found on every avenue it's on spotify it's on google youtube even audible we learned the other day it's everywhere it's yeah everywhere. apple podcasts yeah give it a like give it a subscribe it all helps absolutely so, yeah, would really thank help you for listening thank you bye